Hi everyone, this is Haley from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. In this episode of Expert Answers, I talked to Dr. Taya Sava from the Feinstein Institute for Medical Research, Chris Langdale, Senior Research Scientist from Duke University, and Dr. Martin Schutler from Cortec. As a group, they give insights to the use of nerve cuff electrodes for in vivo peripheral nerve research. Let's get started. For you, Martin, this question is from Bruno. If three electrodes are placed along the nerve, wouldn't they all record the same data, but with <coughs> a slightly different delay from electrode to electrode? Uh, yes, so that's uh, a good point. It really depends on how you amplify from them. And you benefit from them if you do what's called a true differential or double differential amplification. So basically, you amplify the voltage between the first and the central contact and then the central contract to the next one. And these two results are then again amplified. So what it basically does uh, with this trick, it, uh, it's a little bit of math behind that. It uh, subtracts all signals that come from outside this tripoles. It basically is an, this inherent artifact re rejection. But if you just amplify one contact as you do it with the next and the next one against an indifferent reference electrode, you, of course, you are completely right. Great. Thank you. My next question um, is for Chris. With yes. all the different choices to customize cuffs, how do you choose which one? Uh, that's a great question. Typically, a little trial and error in that regard. But what I do recommend is once you have a good idea of what you're having to cuff in the area, you can always talk to the Cortec uh, representatives, they're very good and helpful in helping you design your cuff. But And so what I found was I came up with two different types or three different types of choices. And after that, it was trial and error of implantation as to which might work best for me. I have a question also from Susan, and I might get a couple of different opinions here. Susan has said that she's been told that the nerve should not be touched with a metal tool. Is this true? And what kind of tools do you use to isolate the nerve and place the cuff? Chris, if you want to start, then we'll hear from um, Taya and Martin as well. So I have also been told that in the past, and I've used glass electrodes um, before. But honestly, for the work that I'm doing where I'm isolating the nerve, I'm trying not to touch the nerve directly with the metal. Yeah. I have not noticed necessarily for stimulation-type experiments that using metal forceps are necessarily detrimental to the experiment, especially for at least for stimulation. Maybe there's some differences for recording that I've not necessarily noticed. But again, I'm not typically touching the nerve directly. I know for sure if you're doing that and you're trying to do single fiber type recordings, I know that's very important, or at least I've been told, uh, and I would welcome someone else's opinion. Great. Taya, do you have anything to um, uh, input or share? Right. Depending on your experimental design, if, if you're trying to record from the nerve, you have to remove the connective tissue to have a good contact, so you can't avoid you can't avoid touching the nerve. And in our practice, what we've observed, there is immediate activity when you place the nerve on the cuff right after desheathing. 
you see this burst of activity, but nerve eventually calms down. So you can design your experiment in a way that you give a time to the nerve to calm down and then keep going with your experiment. But in terms of metal or, I mean, any anything that directly touches the nerve will activate the nerve. Great, thank you. Martin, do you have anything to contribute? Well, I, I think the direction the directive is rather that don't touch the nerve directly if possible, if you can avoid it. And if you have a metal part like a pair of tweezers that touches the nerve, of course, you run the risk of somehow introducing electrical charges and activating it. And in worst case, you do an electrostatic discharge, of course, that would be very bad for the nerve. But I don't think that there's any in the metal itself that shouldn't be in contact to the nerve. So I don't think it's the metal of the tweezers. Okay, perfect. And then actually, Martin, I've got another question for you. How do you know whether or not you've actually damaged a nerve during implantation? Yeah, probably this is a question that the other two speakers are more familiar with answering. But of course, when you expect some sort of behavior from the nerve, and if the nerve derivates from this behavior, for example, it doesn't conduct uh, action potentials anymore, this is something that you can easily find out by electrically evoked potential recording. And, or if you see that this input-output changes a lot directly after implantation, then it's most likely that you are in the situation that you either irritate the nerve or that you're actually compressing it. But yeah, I guess that Chris or Tia have experiences here too. Sure. Chris, do you have anything to input? Yeah, can you explain or repeat the question one more time for me? I heard part of it. I'm sorry. No problem. So the question was, how do I know whether or not I have damaged a nerve during implantation? Initially, if you're just placing, for example, a cuff, or if you're just initially, if you're just isolating the nerve, you'll, you can get a pretty good idea whether or not you think you may have damaged or pulled too much on it, and now it's no longer looking normal. It looks like it's stretched, like a rubber band has been stretched too far from a physical touch, you know, physical too much uh, stress. If you place the cuff and it's turned 90 degrees or three quarters or something, you can probably assume that you're probably putting undue stress on the nerve. Other ways you're going to have to be either recording or looking for responses during your experiment. What you may find is you may see, for example, if you're recording, uh, and I've seen this before when I'm using uh, hook electrodes and tensions where you, you might see good recordings and then over time they'll either go away. And then, for example, for stimulation, you may just not see stimulation evoked responses. Other than that, it's kind of a, you're going to have to just verify that everything looks okay, would be my suggestions. Okay, great. Thank you. Kay, do you have anything to add? I think uh, I agree with what Chris said. We Similarly, we use the same technique. You just, the, the nerve should look normal and not physically damaged, for one. And then you just test it through recordings or stimulation effects. Other than that, I don't see how you can tell. Okay, perfect. We actually have a question for you, Taya, from Guadalupe. Are the single cuff electrodes um, of a single use? And then just to compound on that, how does the impedance change? after you use the same cuff many times. Right. So cuffs are definitely not for single use, or at least I don't, I use them multiple times uh, in multiple experiments. It all depends on how you handle them and not damaging the silicone body of the cuff or 
even the metal parts. And in terms of impedance, when you purchase these electrodes, they always come with the impedance measurements that the company performed themselves. And then you can test yourself. And in my practice, they're always in they're, they're agreeable to what company tells us. And then I, before every experiment, I try to check impedance to see that nothing went wrong. And if you notice that something's wrong or impedance is too high or too low, or then you can either change the electrode or it might be the matter of the electrode not being cleaned properly. But it, do, it doesn't change for for many experiments for me. Okay. What is a, this, com, this question is from Andrew. What is a good alternative to 0.9% saline? Well, if you're using these electrodes in, in vivo studies, you have to have a saline, I think, available if you're doing surgeries. But if you don't have it, I guess, I never used anything but saline, but I guess you could use PBS. Okay, great. That was fantastic. And thank, thank you Sorry, all. Sorry, I just wanted to add to this because I think it refers to one thing that I brought up during my presentation. So we found that it's, it depends on the concentration. So 0.9% saline is too conductive. You're very close to what you find in vivo when you go to something like 0.35% saline. And then you're in a similar conductivity range as the nerve itself. So uh, we compared those two in vivo data and found a much better con consistency. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe.